All rise. All rise. The Honorable Chief Justice and, and Associate, Associate Justices, Justices of the Supreme Court. Yes, oh yes, oh yes. The Supreme Court of North Carolina. All of has our citizens across the state depend upon us to uphold and protect both the spirit and the letter of the law and to always apply the law fairly and impartially to every litigant who comes before this court. God save the state and this honorable court. Hello and welcome to All Things Judicial, a podcast of the North Carolina Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office. In this episode, we listen to a 2015 interview with former Chief Justice Burley Mitchell by former Court of Appeals Chief Judge Gerald Arnold. This interview is part of the Chief Justice's Commission on Professionalism's historical video series. We begin with an introduction by former North Carolina Governor Jim Hunt. In every sense of the word, Burley Mitchell has been a great professional, a great leader, a great uh, example, but one who has exhibited the personal qualities and the professional qualities of a great lawyer, a great judge, a great chief justice, and then the highest honor, a great citizen. Gerald Arnold and I'm very pleased today to be here with former Chief Justice Burley Mitchell. Well Chief Justice Mitchell to say the least you have enjoyed an extraordinary legal career in North Carolina. You've been Assistant Attorney General, District Attorney in the 10th District which arguably is the most difficult district in the state in which to be a District Attorney. You were judge of the North Carolina Court of Appeals, secretary of the North Carolina Department of Crime Control and Public Safety. Then in 1982, you became an associate justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court. And 1995, I believe, you became chief justice. And for the past 16 years or so, you've been in private practice with Womble, Carlisle, and Raleigh. I know that you grew up in Raleigh and you met your wife. Tell, tell us about, uh, did you know Lou growing up or when did you get to know Lou? It's a longer story than I'm going to tell, but when I was six and she was four, um, there was an incident where I was in a first grade class and, and she came down and just hung around, you know, the teacher about her. But I came out and she her cat was up a tree. I climbed up there. I could have broken my neck, you know, to get the, get the kitten down. And the whole time she was telling me I was doing it wrong. <laughs> and that has never changed. It's, I hadn't done anything right yet. But I, I, actually, I, I don't think I ever saw her again until I'd gotten back from overseas and and was in a a bad accident. Was in in. Uh, operating room, emergency operating room, and she was on call there as a uh, x-ray and lab technician. 
slipping around in my blood. So, you know, still being about half under the influence, I was being sassy with her and everything. And it just one thing led to another, and we wound up getting married. Well, you certainly grabbed the brass ring when you've got uh, such a lovely and talented uh, person as, as Lou Mitchell. Uh, what about growing up in Raleigh back in the, the 50s? How, how different were things in Raleigh then oh, than now? Yeah. Well, Raleigh was really just a, a mid-sized eastern North Carolina town. We were very, we were as much eastern North Carolina as any, you know, any of the eastern cities. It was only about 50,000 people. And uh, it, most everybody knew everybody. Uh, the, the only jobs in town were with the state government, uh, NC State University, or the News and Observer. Then there were a couple of haberdashers and so on, but it was just a really small town, middle America, uh, idyllic place to grow up. You couldn't have had a, just like most of Eastern North Carolina, you know. Did you know when you were growing up that you wanted to be a lawyer? It was, it was much later, and, and again, the time my wife, uh, but for my wife, I wouldn't have done it. Uh, I. I when I got out of service, I went on the GI Bill, went back to, to school, went to NC State, and I had to whiz through in three years going year-round. I was getting out, I was offered a fellowship at the University of Virginia in uh, political science and history. And, uh, I, I, and it, was a, it was, as they say, a full ride. It was all tuition fees, living expenses, everything. And I got to thinking, Studying history and political science from the university is great, but it's totally academic. And I'd like to do something where I can have an impact on things. I've you know, been overseas, I'd seen some of the world and how messed up some of it was. So I said, you know, I believe law is, is probably a perfect blend between the academic and the practical and, and, and the being able to influence things. So I put in an application to Chapel Hill to the law school and, and got early acceptance. And it wasn't until then that I went and talked to Lou about it. And I said, look, I, I think I'm gonna take this thing. And you know, it, it, it's, I don't think I would have, she'd have said, no, take, take the fellowship because I don't want to carry you anymore. I think I would have mm -hmm. said, fine. But she said, well, go ahead and do what you want to because you'd be miserable if you don't. And, and she kept working. As she, she, she kept working while I was in school. And by then we had a, a son who was about four years old. So it was real stress on her, but it was, it was the right decision. I, yeah. uh, the Lord has blessed me in, in stumbling into uh, some of the right, right avenues for me. Well, fortunate for our profession too, and I we just talk a little bit about professionalism. Why do you think so many lawyers today struggle with this notion of professionalism, the, the qualities that characterize us as professionals? Fr from your perspective, just what what are some of the qualities that you think ought to define us as lawyers, and just how do you see professionalism? Well, I think you can go back just back to the to the definition that Dean Griswold at Harvard Law gave professionalism year decades ago, 
And he said professionalism is a calling, you know, sort of like being called to the ministry, whereby you can better humanity and coincidentally make a decent living. And I think that it, that puts things in the proper perspective. It's not about, it shouldn't primarily be about making money. Uh, most of us, at least our generation, Judge Arnold, went, went into law because we had some notion, I believe, of making things a little better, of, of improving the conditions of our country, our state. And we, also, of course, also wanted to make a living, but my sense is now it's too much focused on, on being a trade or, or just a business. I understand everybody's got to make a living, um, and, and that's terribly important, but I think we've just gotten, the, gotten things a little out of, out of balance. It's hard. I understand it. it is, I believe it's harder today for, for lawyers uh, to, to be thoroughgoing professionals, to put that service uh, aspect first where it should be because there's so many competing pressures and demand. I mean, it's always been a, the jealous, law has always been a jealous mistress. It can consume all your time, all your energy. But historically, I think, and it, well, I'll say for our generation, it was easier to, to be a part of the community and to contribute to the community and be a leader in the community and influence, uh, influence your, your state and nation. But we've got to get back to that if we're going to be a profession. If not, we might as well just let the Securities and Exchange Commission or the Small Business Administration run us and do away with bars, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's the reason we have a, we are self allowed to self-regulate is so that we will be, serve the public. We're the only profession that is a part of the government. A lawyer is an officer of the court, which is a third branch of the government, and, and our, we have a much greater obligation to the public than all the professions. How do we bring about more civility and, and just, uh, uh, I think, I think I learned it, and you probably did from the older lawyers and people we associated sure. with of who course. taught us yeah. uh, to to treat other people, other lawyers like right. we wanted those lawyers to treat us. Well, I think that yes, and I think that's exactly how we get back to civility. We can talk all we want to, go to all the meetings we want to, and talk about civility and the profession, <clears throat> and it is it's just crucial. Uh, in a communicating profession that we b treat each other civilly whether it's uh, whether you want to or not because that's the only way we can function that that ext free exchange of ideas but but the it's simple but it's not easy the way we bring back civility which we have lost is to practice it ourselves and I have been so distressed in the last 10 years, so, well, since I got off the bench, but, and starting before, about the decline in civility among lawyers. And you can see it at, at, at Womble Carlisle. I, I go over some young associates' briefs, and I'm constantly telling them, take out that 
pejorative term. Take out that little bit of sarcasm. It adds nothing, it's distracting, and it, it's demeaning. And it's hard to do when you've got folks drifting in here from New York and L.A. that practice wide open because they know they're not ever coming back. It's hard to remain civil, but you just have to. What is particularly distressing to me is that I see incivility increasing in the courts among judges. And I, I will call some names. You look at the Supreme Court of the United States. There have just been a couple of opinions where, where uh, Justice Scalia called, called the other judges. And I happen to frankly agree probably with his position. But the way he did it, he called those judges everything but a child of God. It, I mean, it was just acerbic, abusive. And if, if that's going to happen on the Supreme Court of the United States, how in heaven can we expect young lawyers to know any better? And I see in some of the opinions of our own appellate courts, and I served, like, as you know, on both of them, where there'd be these little sarcasms and little asides uh, that are add nothing and are, I think, demeaning and diminishing of the stature of the judge. And I hope, every time I see one, I say, I hope a law clerk put that in there and the judge didn't catch it. But we've got to, as a profession, do something about it. The public, more and more, is willing to just write us off as a profession and treat us like any other business, but we can turn it around. And, and I, too, I, I think you've got a good point that this idea of professionalism, it embodies the, the whole legal community, judges, and lawyers, everybody alike. And I, the clients, the public, uh, we see statements uh, made by lawyers and and of course, we have the rules of professional conduct, which as lawyers, we all uh, have to comply with. And, and I know you've talked about it in the past, that, that as individual, we lawyers have our own duties and responsibilities, including uh, reporting violations among our mm. brethren. That's a high hurdle. That's really... Is that, too, is that too hard to do? Is that too high a hurdle for us? I don't think so. It's that kind of, of obligation really harkens back to past times. You know, but the military academies still have that duty to, uh, I will not lie, cheat, or steal, nor tolerate anyone who does. And that's exactly the burden we've put on ourselves, and I, I think we have to live up to it. I mean, nobody wants to get involved in in a bar disciplinary proceeding uh, in any form, and it's it's time consuming and takes away from your clients and that sort of thing. But the violation you close an eye to today will be the violation that lands on you tomorrow. We simply have to have our bar rules enforced uh, uniformly, and it's our responsibility to report things. I don't mean go around and look for minutia, but when you see something that's wrong, you, you got a duty to report it, and that's as plain as it can be. Yeah, the idea if your end of the boat sinks, my, my end is also going to go down. Exactly, that's, exactly. 
and 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 I know that you've been so uh, involved in programs dealing with uh, in, in the bar. I think about the PALS program and 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 some other things. And I also remember very well and something that the judges have had to face over the years: some very unfounded and unfair attacks, mm -hmm. some publicly in the press, and you led a movement to, to take some action, uh, All right. and I, I think that speaks to professionalism too. Would you comment yeah, on that? Yeah, that, that is really, that whole topic is one I'm very proud of our achievements when, when I was chief. Um, we created the Chief Justice Commission on Professionalism, you were at AOC briefly running it at that time. Uh, and it is, and Bill King and Jerry Parnell, both former presidents of the state bar, were just pestered me uh, unmercifully. <laughs> it was a great idea, and I would have done it anyway, but I mean, they weren't going to quit until we set it up, and we did, as you'll recall. The, the, as a part of that, we set, we set up the Judicial Response Committee, which you served on. Uh, which, which was designed for a rapid response on behalf of a judge who was unfairly attacked. Uh, and we have had some success. I'll put it this way, we had more success than anybody else in the legal profession has ever had about, with rapid response. And then on some few occasions, we have actually corrected the problem immediately so that the, the attack was, was uh, taken back or, or that we demonstrated it was, it was wrong. Now, we hadn't been uniform, but, but, but it, we have corrected more than anybody else. And the only reason we could was we didn't have to go back and run it through some committee system. That's why the bars, the bars of the nation, have never been able to do it because they got to have a committee system. Then you got to go check with some other committee. Then you got to get it approved by the board of governors. By that time, whatever it was is over. The judges either lost the election or, or whatever. And a lot of these come up at election time. Uh, and so that that I think that effort by us could be a model for the nation. It, it won't. It won't. It won't succeed terribly frequently, but enough is enough to make it worthwhile. Well, it did succeed enough to make it worthwhile, and so many uh, judges and attorneys and some members of the public commented uh, so favorably on it and appreciated it, and it was such a uh, simple idea in a way. Nobody ever thought about it before you came up uh, with that notion and made it work, and I, I think there was, there's an awful lot of people who really appreciated uh, those efforts. Well, I didn't. I didn't. Thank you. I didn't make it work. The folks on on that commission made it work. And that was you, Governor Holshouser, and people like that who were universally respected. And that's the same reason for the success of this commission. Of, of uh, is that that we picked Mel Wright early on mm -hmm. with the at the instance and with the encouragement of my my partner Betty Quick as to head the thing and it's it's just had good people that's made it all work.
you've been in practice now for 16 years or so. What, what about the private practice have you enjoyed? Well, it's, I have really, I've really enjoyed it. At times I wonder why I didn't do it earlier. I've gotten, I've gotten out, you know, um, all my work, most of my work has been either litigation, uh, trial or appeal, and then uh, some economic development projects. Our firm has represented some large corporations like, uh, like Dell and Google and, and Apple and so on as they brought businesses here. But it's really exposed me uh, to a, a whole facet of society that I was sort of cloistered from when I was in government and particularly on the bench. Uh, the business community, I've gotten uh, to know a lot more people there more intimately. Uh, and it's just fun being, being with lawyers. Abraham Lincoln said, said lawyers are the best people to ha fight with, drink with, and have fun with uh, at all, and he's right. One thing I do, I am a little concerned about is that we don't have that same sort of camaraderie now. People, I guess, just don't have time for it. Uh, and the fact that the bar is just so large yeah. now. I mean, yeah. you think about Raleigh back in the 50s and 60s, when you and I got yeah. our license, you knew every lawyer. Absolutely, I remember when I remember when the Wake County bar hit 500, hit 500, and we said, "Well, that's the end of the profession. Yeah. We won't ever have." And we may have been right. I don't know, but but I, that was a real milestone. And now I don't, Lord, I don't know how many the Wake bars got thousands, but I don't know how many. And that perhaps too has an effect on this idea of civility that we were mm -hmm. talking about. Someone you know very well, you usually are going to be a little yeah. more. Yeah. Well, and, and someone that you're going to face again, that you're going right. to be in court with again. It's, it's just too easy if you're only going to see the person one time and you don't know them to sort of, uh, sort of uh, never, never come to grips with their humanity, so to speak. You know, you're just... It, it's uh, they're out there in the ether somewhere, and you can say anything, do anything you want to. It's sort of hit and run. I know that you do uh, work with uh, young lawyers, especially in your firm, because I remember on some occasions I have talked with some of them, and uh, of course they were uh, just honored to have you working with them, and and they were fortunate to have you. Uh, helping them, uh, do, would you have any further advice for younger lawyers uh, in general, or maybe some who are not so young, uh, especially as it relates to this notion of professionalism? You know, I, I have, at this late stage, <laughs> I think developed the best advice that I can give any young lawyer to help them be professional, to help their lives be better, family life, everything else. And this is what I, t what I tell them now. When, you are pro when you, you're in this profession, if you're doing something you don't like, stop doing it. In other words, find something, some, something you like and move to it. If that means leaving your firm, if, if it means leaving the profession. But life is too short for everything to be stressful and for everything to be a burden. 
it sounds trite, but what a lawyer ought to do is have fun. Because if you're doing something you enjoy, there'll be bad days, but but you'll enjoy your life. I have I have been tremendously blessed in my life. I can honestly say that in what is it now, forty five, six, seven years of, uh, as a lawyer in the various positions I've had in government and at Womble, I've been able to get up every morning looking forward to going to work, genuinely looking forward to going to work and enthused about something I was going to do. And I can't imagine how depressing it would be not to have that. In other words, to go in every day just, oh God, here, i got to go again, you know. I, I don't know how anybody can survive this. So I, I tell lawyers, yeah, you know, all the things we've talked about being professional and that sort of thing. But the main thing is you go get something that you enjoy doing. Uh, as a law, I told my wife when I got out of law school, I told Lou, I said, honey, you know, we're never going to make a bunch of money because I'm not going in that direction. We're going to have enough to eat and, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to be okay financially. But other than that, I'm not ever doing anything I don't I think's wrong, <laughs> you know, it's not that much money. Uh, and I've tried to live by that, and as a, as a result, I, I've, I've had a very happy and blessed professional career. Well, Chief Justice Mitchell, in closing, let me say on behalf of the Chief Justice Commission on Professionalism and for the Chief Justice, thank you for being the exemplar that you have been of professionalism and and for being that good example for so so many years and thank you too for being just a wonderful friend and mentor that you've been to so many of us well thank you i've been very blessed to have the opportunity uh, to associate with great people and i i still do and i'm looking forward to doing it today and tomorrow You've been listening to All Things Judicial, a podcast from the North Carolina Judicial Branch. You can find out more about the Judicial Branch by visiting nccourts.gov. If you like our podcast, please share it with a friend and give it a five-star rating and review. Your help is essential to sharing the important work of the Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office, and I'm reminding you to keep all things judicial. Thanks for listening.